All right. Let's, uh, let's just pause for a second and say a quick prayer. God of power and mercy, open our hearts in welcome. Remove the things that hinder us from receiving Christ with joy so that we may share his wisdom and become one with him when he comes in glory. For he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. All right. Um, the baskets today, again, uh, collecting for Christmas sharing. Christmas sharing happens this week. Um, if you look in life together, uh, the, the dates and the days of the week don't quite line up. Go with the days of the week as opposed to the dates. That's the days of the week. Um, is there anything, uh, anything that needs to be said in particular, Carol, about Christmas sharing? Is Carol here? Okay. I'll take that as a no then. Um, let's see. What else? Um, Advent services continue. Um, Come for, uh, come for dinner before the Advent services, if you like, uh, and uh, join us for today uh, at 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. Anything else? We're just sort of rolling along here. Um, everybody doing good? Okay. All right. Let's talk about Genesis. Oh, I can. please, go ahead. Well, you can. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, some of you may know Elizabeth, Elizabeth Vernick. Uh, a member of St. John's. She's getting married on Friday. Friday. This, right this Friday, right before Christmas sharing. So if you're coming to Christmas sharing, <laughs> you can also come to Elizabeth's wedding. Yeah. She's, uh, she'd like to invite the congregation to join, uh, to join in, the, in, the, in, the, in the wedding. Um, what time is it? 4.30. 4.30. Okay. Um, one, a wonderful occasion um, and, and a wonderful invitation. So uh, anything else? Everybody have a handout or a, and a Bible. We need handouts and Bibles today. Okay, so here's the first thing we're going to do. Um, I want to spend a little time going back to uh, the story from last week, Jacob wrestling with God, or two weeks ago. Whew. Um, and we probably, I think I've forgotten how the story goes. So um, What's, the, what's, what's at stake? What's the story about? Jacob wrestling with God. If you were going to summarize it, if you were going to tie it up in a nice package, how would you put it? What's, what's the story about? He's on the run from... Yeah, he's so, well, actually, he's, so he's running to his brother, interestingly. Leaving Laban, going to his brother, and uh, he, but he's afraid. He's terrified because he, last he knows, Esau wants to kill him. Um, which is thematic in the relationships among brothers in Genesis, that they want to kill each other. Um, okay, how about the fact that, he wrest- that God appears and that he wrestles with God? What's the, what's the center of the story? What's the story all about? God gives Jacob a blessing, okay? So the blessing, as has been the case in Jacob's life all along, the blessing is central, and how does he come by the blessing? How does he, how does he acquire the blessing? Jacob, asks. Jacob, yeah. He not only asks, he insists, right? So Jacob insists. Um, so now why does Jacob need to insist? Why does Jacob need to insist? Remember, it's like uh, Moses on the road to Egypt after God sent him to Egypt. God meets him on the way and tries to kill him, right? It's kind of like that. Um, Jacob here is at this, this turning point in his life. He's about to go back and, and uh, potentially face 
his death meeting his brother Esau, and um, he has this blessing from God, and then God meets him on the road and starts wrestling with him. So God opposes him. And this is um, this, this notion of God opposing um, his, 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 the people that he's given blessings or promises to uh, is really interesting because it's, it's counterintuitive. It's, uh, it's backwards, frankly, right? It doesn't fit with how we expect God to work. And yet it happens frequently. We talked about some of the, time, the other times in the Bible that it happens where God seems to oppose his promise. Abraham sacrificing Isaac, right? God seems to be opposing. He is, in fact, opposing Abraham, saying, here, I'm going to give you this blessing. And then he, then he meets him on the way and, and is going to bring a halt to the blessing. There is um, there's a story uh, in, the, in the Gospel of John, which I think illustrates... I think it illustrates this really well. We talked about this a bit in women's Bible study, so sorry if I repeat a few things. Um, the, woman, the woman caught in adultery. Um, you know the story from John. Um, uh, the, the, the Jews uh, catch this woman in adultery, and they, they bring her, and the, the leaders say, you know what, let's send, let's send her to Jesus and see what he says. So they bring her to Jesus, and uh, how does the story go? What happens next? They're, they're gonna, they're gonna, they say she's sinned against, according to the law of Moses, and she deserves to... To die, to be stoned, right? Um, and what does Jesus say? Let, 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 who, let whoever doesn't ha, is without sin, let him cast the first stone, right? The people, one by one, drop their stones and walk away. And finally, what does he say to the woman? Yeah. Is there anyone left to condemn you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, how is this story related to uh, Jacob wrestling with God? Well, it's related in a really vivid way. Who is opposing the woman caught in adultery? Okay, at first glance, it's certainly the Jewish leaders. They're, they think that they have the situation under control, right? They are, they are the masters of God's law, and they're going to exercise judgment against the woman. Um, are they wrong? What does it say in Leviticus, right? They, they're, they're saying Moses said, this is the case. She deserves to die, right? Moses said, by God's word, Moses, God's prophet, said she deserves to die. So, you know, at first glance, it's the, it's the religious leaders. And we, like we kind of like to rationalize the story a little bit and say, well, it was unjust. There was all this injustice taking place. She didn't deserve to die. Um, what about the guy, right? Where was he in the picture? What, how were they... Were they the right authority to, to, uh, to, to um, cast the stones? In fact, they were, right? Moses says, the people shall stone her, right? So she's opposed by God's law. She's opposed by God himself. But then what happens? Jesus comes along, and Jesus in the flesh stands between her and God's law. Stands between, remember the passage from Ezekiel? Um, I sought for myself a man from among the people who would stand in the breach, lest I destroy them. Who is that man? It's Jesus. Because if, God, if God's law is going to have its way with us, if his law is going to uh, accuse us in the way that it inevitably does, we're all, we're all, <laughs> we're all dead, right? Unless Jesus stands in the breach. And so this is, I mean, this is the, it's a beautiful story because on the one hand, it sort of, um, it takes away any opportunity for you to think that you're going to manipulate 
the system or you're going to make it you're going to make it through on the on your own or you're going to you're going to you're going to be okay you need jesus you need him standing there um you need not just you know a faint hope that jesus is going to be there but you actually need jesus there which is of course our great consolation on uh the day of jesus return that when he comes in judgment who is he for us he's the one who stands in the breach he's the one who stands um interceding for us Okay, he's the one who's on our side. Um, and, it's, and it's only in the person of Jesus that, that, that that's possible. It's only in the person of Jesus, which is why we cling to all of the ways that Jesus comes to us in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, right? You, you bear in yourself the body and blood of Jesus. You have Jesus when, you, when, when you're faced with judgment, when you're faced with the opposition of God. When God opposes you, you say, ah, but Jesus, right? Remember Jesus, okay? Does that make sense? You see, you see what, it's a little bit of a blank look around the room. <laughs> yes, Wayne. Jesus is our lawyer. He saves us from our sins. He's our advocate, absolutely. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's the one, he says, he, he stands before the Father and says, um, credit everything that I've done. On that. Yep, exactly, right. David. The thing that's a little confusing, though, is Jacob seems to prevail on his own strength. That, you're right. It does, it does seem that way. And in fact, um, take a look. I, I didn't, uh, we're going to do things out of order here. Take a look at the article that's on the third page. I uh, included this article two weeks ago, and then I forgot to talk about it. And I realized that that might have been a mistake because uh, it's con- a bit confusing. Unfortunately, I wrote on the article what's missing here, so you didn't just take it, hopefully, at t- face value. Um, there was this, there's this editorial. Um, at, look at the, There's two highlighted sections. Um, let's just... See what they say real quick. Uh, first, the first highlighted section, almost every major hero and heroine of the Hebrew Bible is depicted as independent-minded, disobedient, even contentious. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph's brothers, Moses and Aaron, Gideon and Samuel, prophets such as Elijah and Elisha, and exilic biblical figures such as Daniel, Mordecai, and Esther are all portrayed as confronting authority and breaking the laws and commands of kings. And for this they are praised. And then he goes on and says it's not just kings, it's even God himself. Look at the last, the last section there. The Bible acknowledges this pattern explicitly when God gives the name Israel to Jacob and his descendants, saying, Your name will no more be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have contended with God and with men and have prevailed. Right? So he's, and it's, that's scriptural, right? You have contended. You, you are the agent. You are the one acting. You have contended with God and men and have prevailed. Reread that last sentence. It says that the God of Israel so cherishes independent-minded men and women that he himself names them Israel, meaning will contend with God as a sign of his love and esteem. Now, um, that's, certainly, uh, that's certainly how it might seem, right? Jacob, uh, uh, Jacob just sort of takes the bull by the horns and, uh, and gets what, what he has coming to him. But that's not true, right? That's not the way the story actually goes. What is, uh, what is Jacob's um, insistence on the promise dependent on? What does that depend on? Yeah. yeah, that's right, that God already made the promise in the first place, right? So it's not, um, it's, not by, it's not by his own might that he receives the blessing, but it's through faith in the promise. And, and faith, as we know, is a gift of the Holy Spirit, right? It's not something that he can cling to by his own strength. It's not something that he can... Um, in fact, if you know, Jacob wasn't particularly self-controlled, right? He, didn't, he wasn't good at this. And yet here... Um, is this miraculous 
this really, it's a miraculous thing that he holds God to his promise at a time when God seems to be most, most against him. Um, so it, it's, it, you know, it, it's not by his own strength. It's by, it's by, uh, by faith that he does it. Any other questions? That's a good question. It's a good question. Um, in, in the same way, the woman caught in adultery, right? It's, she, she certainly does. If she, she could have said, forget you, Jesus. I'm gonna, I don't need you, right? That's, that's what she could have said. Um, instead, she, she basically clings to Jesus, right? She hides behind Jesus. Um, that's the only, only option she has. Marilyn. Because, because uh, every word comes to us in two different ways, right? And God is a, God is a righteous God who, um, who established the world in a certain way, who established the world to um, exist according to, according to his will. And when it doesn't work that way, um, he, can't help but, he can't help but correct it. Now, normally that correction is really painful, right? Think the flood. Okay, um, but there's a better solution. He has a better way, which is that he, he takes that and puts and places it on Jesus, right? So it's it, it's it's because of his righteousness that um, he he opposes uh, that he opposes people, but it's also because of his mercy that he stands in in the way and intercedes for them. And which is greater, right? Which is greater, the promise of life or the promise of death? Remember this from from First and Second Kings, the promise of life, that that wins the day every time. All right. Any more questions? Derek. Um, and it's also that in the sense that Jacob's, in this case, very direct struggle with God, in fact, serves as sort of a, a way of focusing Jacob and reminding him right. to ask right. for what God actually had already promised. Like, but, yeah. Hey, why is this so difficult? Give me what you promised me. Right. Yeah, it's, it's an exercise in humility because, again, just like the woman caught in adultery, he could say, Forget you, God. I don't need your blessing, right? I don't, and that's the that's the reaction of pride, which happens all the time. I don't need your blessing, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We don't need you to be our God, right? Um, and 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 so it's an it's a it's an exercise, a discipline of humility that he comes away having asked for what he needs, having asked for from God what he needs. Okay, take a look. Um, I included a couple of psalms because David illustrates this. So, so you know, so there are times when, in the Bible especially, when the struggle is really vivid, as in, as in God is the one opposing you. Um, more often, uh, it seems like God is opposing you. It feels that way. And David, David really illustrates this in the psalms pretty well. Take a look, sorry, on the second page. This one's, this one's a, little bit more, uh, a little bit more vivid. The second page, Psalm 32 um, listen, to, listen to how David talks here. Um, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And that's, that's, the, that's the confession of somebody who knows that nothing happens apart from God, right? So it doesn't have to be that, uh, it, could be, it could be any number of things. It could be his enemies, it could be um, people undermining his, undermining his kingdom, people uh, 
uh, you know, saying that he doesn't have, he, that he's not God's anointed. Could be Saul, right? Um, could be anybody, but uh, he acknowledges that nothing happens apart from, apart from God. And so ultimately, it's God's hand that's heavy upon him, right? When he's faced with, with suffering and trial. Byron. Uh, I don't, it doesn't translate. We, we have a difficulty translating it, which is why, which is why it's uh, um, still in the original language there. I don't, it's, it seems like it's a, a poetic marker of some sort. Not clear. So I, I don't have it. I do not know. <laughs> um, okay, so it's God's hand who's heavy upon him. But then listen to what he says. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So that posture of humility and the confession of sin um, and repentance uh, is, the, is the reception of God's promise, right? That's, that's what he seeks when, when his hand is heavy upon us. Same thing is true in Psalm 6. Turn real quick to that. Psalm 6 on the first page there. This, uh, this psalm is, so, is, is theologically so rich um, just in the first couple of verses. Listen carefully to what uh, David says. Uh, he says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Just that verse right there. Rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Now, we, we hear that um, as, don't rebuke me, don't discipline me. But in fact, what David is saying is, Lord, rebuke me, but don't let it be in your wrath. Discipline me, but don't let it be in your anger. Now, what's the difference there? What's the difference between saying, don't rebuke me, and rebuke me, but not in your wrath? Do it in love. Do it out of mercy, right? So let your discipline, let when your hand, be heavy, when your hand is heavy upon me, let it be because of your mercy. Because, because you're, you're bringing forth fruits of repentance, right? You're uh, producing humility. You're producing uh, faith. You're, you're, you're making me trust in your promises because your hand is heavy upon me, Right? That's a really difficult prayer to pray, right? To say, we want to say, God, don't discipline me. Please don't discipline me. Um, and the prayer of faithful David is, I deserve your discipline, and your discipline is good for me. Um, let, it, let it be in mercy, not in anger or wrath. Does that make sense? We're kinda, I'm, kinda, I'm a little bit all over the place here right now, so tell me if you need me to straighten anything out. How's that? Sure. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and uh, so one of the, I think the, the prevailing image that we have of God, Jesus gives us to us in uh, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, right? So uh, our Father who art in heaven. We pray to God as our loving Father, um, uh, and we ask everything from him as a loving Father. Now, if when you discipline your children, um, they don't know that you love them, then they're going to assume it's, it's, it's hatred. It's anger. Because that's how it seems, right? Take, I'm taking away TV, uh, and you don't know that I love you. It's because you, it must be because you hate me, right? So they've got to know that you love them. And that's how God deals with us, right? That's ex- it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great example. That's exactly how God deals with us as a loving father. Okay. Anything else? One more thing to think about here. And this is um, there's this Latin phrase, uh, the fourth bullet point there, tentatio perpetua, it's um, perpetual temptation. Um, This is, uh, or or perpetual spiritual affliction, perpetual struggles. 
This is uh, the, one of the lessons that we get from the Jacob story altogether, is that the life of a Christian is not, is not as much as we would like it to be, a life where you reach some plateau and, you're, and all of a sudden everything's okay and you don't have to struggle anymore, right? That's a fantasy. That's not, that's not the life of a Christian. That's not what, that's not what Jesus promises either. Um, Jesus, in fact, promises that you're going to struggle, right? Take up your cross and follow me. Um, he promises that, that trials and temptations will enter into your life. Now, uh, what's interesting is, or what's important, is how those, how those temptations uh, function in your life. So the, when temptation enters your life or spiritual affliction or you struggle with anything, when you suffer, uh, it's easy. The easy way out is to distance yourself from God and his word because the closer you get to God and his word, the closer you get to the altar, the closer you get to your baptism, the more Satan attacks you, the more you are a target, right? And so it certainly feels like the easy way out just to disregard God altogether and say, you know what, it's, it's better if I don't hear what God has to say about this. Because what's, what's God going to say about your struggle and your suffering? He's going to say it's for your good. And that's not something that we like to hear, right? So the, the life of a Christian is a life of um, constantly dealing with this opposition, dealing with this struggle, and turning again to God, right? Repenting, turning again to God and his word, where we hear the promise repeated to us. And this is why, um, you know, this is why we come to church every week, because, uh, because in church, on a Sunday morning, you hear with, with I mean, the, the service is designed to present to you with as much clarity as possible the pure gospel, right? There, you, you confess your sins and the pastor pronounces unequivocally that your sins have been forgiven. You come to the altar and you receive without any doubt the body and blood of Jesus with, which strengthen your faith and, and, and uh, increase your love for one another. Um, the, the, the whole goal is to show you God's word speaking on your behalf, to show you Jesus standing in the breach on your behalf. Um, and that's why, that's why we return to it over and over again. Now, uh, I, again, when you turn to God's word, um, sometimes it's unpleasant. Sometimes it produces more temptation, right? Sometimes it produces more struggle. Um, and that's, the, that's the, the life of a Christian. That's, ma- that's maturing as a Christian, to realize that... Um, that we turn again to God's word, even, even when it's not the easy way. Okay, now that was a lot. Any questions? I've been thinking about this all week, and I couldn't wait to tell you about it. So, uh, <laughs> Thanks for listening. Okay, Let, okay let's get back to Genesis now. Um, what, what, the last bullet point um, on that first big bullet point, so the last hollow bullet point and the first main bullet point, why again these stories? Um, and this is a really important question for us to always... Re- Keep in mind when we're talking about um, especially Old Testament stories, which are perhaps less clear in their purpose to us, right? Why, do these story, why are these stories even here in the first place? Well, uh, if we think that they're here, that the Bible exists to give us a set of rules, we're, we're going to be frustrated. And if it ex- exists to give us examples of morality, we're going to be pretty disappointed because we know how these people are, right? Um, so what's the point? Well, in the Old Testament, we see Christ. We see Christ uh, foreshadowed by all of these figures um, in, in kind of unexpected ways. But there's another really important reason for learning these stories, and that is because these stories, as, as Christians, form your vocabulary. Okay? So the goal is 
that as you study the Bible, as you learn the, the history of, the, as you learn your history, the history of Israel, right? You are the people of Israel. As you learn your history, you have a point of reference. So you can say when things happen in your life, it's just like when that happened to Jacob, right? And what did Jacob do? He insisted on God's blessing, right? Or you, I mean, sometimes it works the other way too. So you say, what's this like in, 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 my, in, in the Bible? Well, it's just like when that publican or the, the Pharisee got up in the temple and said, thank goodness I'm not like other men. Oh boy, he went home not justified, right? It's so that you have a point of reference, so that you, can, you have a vocabulary about which to speak of your life, right? With which to speak of your life. So that you can, you can say, my life is, is uh, understood in these terms. It interprets your life. Um, so th- bear that in mind as we study these stories. You won't always get, in fact, you seldom will get in the Old Testament kind of a, a real easy uh, lesson from the stories. And I, I'm really pressing you when I, when I ask you to sum it up because it's not, it's not easy to do. And if we do that, we, we, we often reduce it to less than what it is. But for you, it's, it's, a, it's a, a part of your vocabulary and you learn to use it. You learn to use it as you grow as Christians. Okay. So, let's, uh, let's move on. Any questions? Yes. Because, uh, so, so the, the flood, as, along with all kinds of other um, sort of uh, really dis, dis, dramatic displays of, of, God's, of God's justice, um, you know, they happen in his divine wisdom for one thing, which we can only approach to a certain degree. But uh, in the Old Testament, events like the flood um, are serving a purpose, bringing about, preserving, preserving a faithful generation for God so that the Savior can come, right? Um, it's tricky for us when we, when we start to wonder, you know, well, what about all of those people, right? All of those people that God, that God put to death, right? Um, it, and we, we tread on really thin ice if we spend too much time trying to, trying to ask the question, was it right? Should he do that? Of course, of course God does what is right. Um, and the, the promise that was given to uh, Adam and Eve in the garden um, was known to all was known you know throughout all the generations that followed right this was the promise that was given and God made it clear that his purpose uh, going forward was going to be to bring up for his people um, uh, the Messiah the, the king who would the king who would save people finally from their sins um, so along with a lot of other things that happen in the Old Testament um, there are what seem like kind of minor corrections, or in the case of the flood, a, a big correction, right? Um, because, because if things had persisted in the way they were, it would have, gone, it would have got, gotten out of hand. It would have gotten to the point where Noah and his family would have, you know, would have been unable to, to be faithful, right? So that's, that's a sort of speaking around the question to some degree, because in some ways it's, it's a little bit unanswerable, right? Um, you know, how do, we, how do we understand the way God acts in history, it's difficult. It's difficult. But what we do know is that he has one purpose in mind, which is the salvation of the world. And sometimes the salvation of the world um, is at the cost of temporal things, right? 
Um, I mean, death, death is uh, the end of temporal life, but it's not, the, it's not the end of God's promises. And that's what we receive in Jesus. So Jesus, Jesus takes away death. He defeats death forever so that even, even a death that happens in the flood isn't the end of all things. Okay? I'll work on that answer. <laughs> Anything else? Any other questions? Okay. Let's look at Joseph. Now, we, we uh, have gotten to chapter 37. You have your Bibles. Open up your Bibles. Genesis chapter 37 is where we start to hear about Joseph. And we've heard about Jacob um, up to this point. We, uh, we heard Jacob um, on his way back to meet with Esau. We heard about the, the family of Esau. Um, and now uh, a new chapter emerges in the book of Genesis. Um, we've had a chapter about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now a new chapter. And this chapter, as, as often happens in Genesis, is introduced by um, this really common phrase. It's in verse 2, 37 verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. So um, this, you, you, you can mark breaks in the book of Genesis by that phrase. These are the generations of, and that means we're starting a new section. So and normally what you'd expect to hear is these are the generations of Jacob. He had these sons and he was descended from so-and-so, right? Um, and what do we hear instead? Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers, right? Um, which kind of strikes a chord already to be, at the beginning of the story. Something's a little bit strange. Jacob has 12 sons, right? We already know that uh, uh, animosity between brothers is a problem in the history of Israel. Um, and so bear that in mind as we go forward, that the generations of Jacob consist of the Joseph story. But before we, get, before we get too much deeper, I want to just see if we can get the big picture. How does, what are the, from, from your memory, what are the big, the big stories in the Joseph story, the Joseph narrative? How does it go? Okay, Joseph is the favorite. That's right, he's Rachel's son. Okay, good. And then what happens? Yeah, so, he, so there's, there's, he's, he's shown favoritism in all kinds of different ways, right? He's, he receives a coat from his father, um, and he's sent, from, sent, he's sent to sort of look after his brothers, right? And what, what does brothers do? Yeah, he's hated by his brothers. Okay. What else? How does it go? Big strokes here. Yeah, right. All, this, all of this stuff to make his brothers hate him, right? Um, he dreams dreams. And tells them about him. Yep. That's a lesson, by the way. You could just pluck that one right out there. It's a lesson. Okay, what else? Sold into slavery, okay? By, by his brothers, right? He ends up where? He's in Egypt. Okay. Yep. Dad thinks he's dead. Okay. He's in Egypt. What happens? Potiphar. And things are going pretty well, right? When he's with Potiphar. And then what happens? Okay. Yep. He gets, a, he gets framed, right? Framed and thrown in prison. Good. You guys are good. 
Dreams. He says, yeah, look at all those dreams. Okay. Uh, this time, what, what do the dreams do for him? They get him out of prison. Because who has a dream? Okay. Okay, so now he interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and, and what happens? He interprets that there's going to be a famine, and so that they need to, like, prepare. Okay, so, uh, so what does Pharaoh do for Joseph? Okay, so Joseph's in charge. I'm going to start over here now. Okay, things get interesting then, right? Because what do his brothers and his father need? Food, famine, right? Um, so they come to Egypt and they ask, for, they ask for food. And what does Joseph do? This is, this, things get interesting. We'll talk about this more in a couple weeks here. But uh, what does Joseph do with his brothers? Yeah, he kind of he kind of toys with them a little bit, right? Yeah, um, he uh, yeah he uh, he he I'll say, I'll say he toys with his brothers. Um, how does the story end? Yeah, so uh, Joseph's brothers and his father come to Egypt. Um, Joseph reveals himself after all of this time, right? He's had this this fun little time fooling with them. <laughs> And then, and then he then he reveals himself to his brothers, and uh, and th- it's this happy reunion because all of this time, Jacob has thought he was dead, um, and now Jacob is going to die, and his brothers are afraid because they threw him in a pit and sold him into Egypt, so uh, so uh, they come to Jacob and or they come to Joseph and say, look, uh, your your father made you made it, made you promise. That you wouldn't that you wouldn't do anything to us, right? Didn't he didn't he say that? And um, and Joseph says, "Look, I'm not. Who, who am I? Am I God? Am I in the place of God? What you intended for evil, God intended for good, right? Um, and and then he he forg- he forgives his brothers, right? So there's forgiveness at the end of the story, right? It is a uh, an epic story. Uh, it takes up all of the rest of all of the rest of Genesis." Um, and you can and now what's what's the reason for doing this is because you know you know how the story goes and all of the parts between Genesis 37 and uh, the end of Genesis really relate to this plot. They they are components episodes in this plot that further the plot. And the the question we have to ask carefully as we read these as we read these, these stories is what do these stories have to do with the plot? What do the what do these little episodes? How do they further the plot? Okay. Sometimes it's really obvious, like when Joseph tells his brothers his dreams, this is so that we know that why they hate him, right? Um, but other times it's not obvious, and those are, those are some really interesting things to consider. So, any questions? Let's, let's dive in. Genesis 37, we're going to look at this a little bit more closely here. Joseph was 17 years old, pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wife. So those, remember, are the maidservants of Leah and Rachel. Um, interestingly, there's, there's some speculation about what that, what, whether it means with or he was shepherd over his brothers, right? He was the favorite. So um, it, it certainly seems like he, was, he had the task to look out for his brothers. But notice uh, who he's not with. He's with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha, but not Leah um, and not and not Benjamin, not Rachel, right? Um, his uh, his his older brothers, uh, 
you know, <laughs> so his, they probably wouldn't have taken too kindly to him being, to being shepherd over them, right? Um, but he's, he's a shepherd over Bilhah and Zilpah. He was a boy with them, and uh, he brought a bad report of them to their father. That's strike one. Don't do that. <laughs> now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. That's another piece of evidence. Because he was the son of his old age. Now he made him a robe of many colors. Strike three, rare, right? Um, but when his brothers saw that the father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. So how much do they hate him? A lot, right? <laughs> they couldn't even speak peacefully to him. Now, um, consider this. How do you feel about Joseph right now? Do you think, I mean, he's a, okay, Brad, that's the word that uh, usually comes to mind, right? Um, He's, he's at, least, at least ambiguous in terms of whether he's, he's doing the right thing, okay? It's not clear. Um, he, he, it's just not a, good, it's not a smart move. He doesn't really seem to have much political sense, right? You don't say these things to your older brothers who, who are, who, um, you know, who, when, when, when things like the birthright and inheritance and all that stuff is at stake, um, okay, you don't do that. You, don't, you just don't say things like that. Now, things get worse. So, he's yeah. also the son of his father. He's a manipulator. That's, you're exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he works it. Yeah, yeah. That is very true. Um, it, yeah, hang on to that thought. It's, it's, it's very true. Okay. Now, Joseph had a dream, verse 5, and when he told it to his brothers, shouldn't have done that, they hated him even more, right? So they couldn't talk peacefully to him before. Now they hate him even more. And what's really interesting, this is irony, you, can't, you don't see it in English. In the, in the Hebrew, the word, the word for even more is the same word for Joseph's name. So Joseph, when he tells his brothers his dream, they hate him even more. They, hate, they, just, they just hate Joseph, Joseph, Joseph style. They, can't, they hate him so much, right? They can't stand him. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. <laughs> what do you suppose that means? <laughs> he, I mean, he, his brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more. Even more. There it is again. For his dreams and for his words... Then he dreamed another dream. Now, this is a, a, a Hebrew way of talking. You, you, when, you, when you do something, you use the noun and the verb. So, grass, grasses. That's what it, that's what it does in, in Hebrew. Uh, a fire, fires. You dream dreams. Okay? Um, and so he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. So, the word is just like resounding here, and I think we're supposed to cringe. I think that that's the whole point. Just stop talking about your dreams. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now, we're going to pause here for just a second. Um, His mother and his father and his brothers show up in the dream, right? Sun and moon and eleven stars. His mother, Rachel, is dead at this point, right? She, get, she died giving birth to Benjamin. So an, an interesting question to consider is, and this is, um, this is one way to, we have to think about Joseph as pointing ahead to Christ. So does, does it ever come 
to pass that Joseph, that, that his mother and his father and his brothers all bow down to him. Not, not in Joseph's life, right? This is a, sort of a partial fulfillment of that when his father and his brothers come to Egypt and, uh, and you know, ask him for, ask him for food. But um, it's, it's reminiscent. It sounds like when Jesus quotes the psalm saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool, right? So David is saying of his son, he's my Lord, right? In the same way, uh, this, this is pointing ahead to a future fulfillment, a future fulfillment when the son will be served by by, by all of his by all of his parents, right? When they when they when he is the greater the greater one, when he's the king who rules. Okay, any questions? Let's keep going. So now, his brothers went to pasture. Verse twelve, their, flo- their father's flock near Shechem. Now Shechem has a um, kind of a uh, troublesome history in Genesis. Um, we skipped the story. Uh, it happened just a couple chapters earlier. Leah had a daughter named Dinah. Maybe you know how the story goes. She wanders off. And, uh, and is raped by a man named Shechem. Um, and uh, it's really bad. It makes, the, makes her brothers terribly upset, and they want to do something about it. Jacob doesn't seem too bothered by it. He's not, he's not as, as aggravated as his, brothers, as, 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 as his sons are. Simeon and Levi take it upon themselves. This is one of those stories in the Bible that you just can't, you couldn't make this up, right? They take it upon themselves to deal with the problem. And so what they say uh, they say, this was terrible that you did this to our sister. And the guys say, well, look, we'd like to, we'd like to um, marry your daughters and have, have, have this great relationship. We'll, we'll make it right. And so Simeon and Levi say, okay, that sounds good, but we couldn't do it unless you were circumcised. Right? So they were all circumcised. All of the men of Shechem were circumcised. And three days later, when they were all in a great deal of pain, Simeon and Levi went and slaughtered them all. Okay, it's a brutal story, right? Um, they, took, they took vengeance on, uh, on behalf of their sister Dinah um, in, a really, in a, a really brutal way. Um, and their father rebuked, rebuked them for it. They shouldn't have done it. It wasn't, it wasn't their, their vengeance to take. Um, so Shechem is kind of, when you, whenever you hear Shechem, that's, that's sort of in the background. That, that took place um, at Shechem and uh, that, that, that Shechem has this history, Okay. His brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. Now, we have to ask, why would he do that, considering just how much his brothers hate him? Um, and here we start to see, we start to see how uh, the story is not incidental. The, the flow of the story is not, it's not just some sort of accident that Joseph ends up with his brothers and goes to Egypt but it's being directed a certain way, right? Um, he is being sent by his father, whether his father knows it or not, basically to his death, right? His brothers hate him so much, okay? His father sends him, and he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields, so Joseph's lost, kind of looking around, doesn't see his brothers, and a man found him. Again, it's not, it's not just serendipity here. It's God's divine providence, right? These things don't just happen, that a man finds you in the, wandering in the fields and says, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers. I overheard them saying they were going to Dothan, right? Um, so it, it, things are lining up for Joseph to find his brothers. If he hadn't found them, what would he have done? Gone home, 
he wouldn't have been on his way to his grave. I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into the one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. So, um, now this is another interesting facet to the story, right? Uh, his brothers think that they, can, that they can just undo the content of his dreams, that, that they can interfere with um, what he's dreamed. Uh, but that's not, people think this all the time when, with, uh, with what God prophesies, with what God, with what God causes his prophets to say. They think they can just stop it. it this was one of the stories in uh, 2 Kings, I think the, um, uh, the king said to his prophet, what's going to happen? Should we go into battle? The prophet said, uh, oh, it's all going to be fine. The king said, I know you're lying because uh, you never tell me good news. And so the prophet says, prophet says okay, fine, you're going to die. And so the king says, aha, fine, I have it. I have the news from you. So he went into battle and didn't wear his kingly garb. He wore just the garb of a normal soldier, thinking that he would be, that he could outmaneuver God's prophecy. And in battle, he's struck by like a stray arrow or something and dies. It's, I mean, you can't, you can't outmaneuver God's, God's prophecy or, or, or God's word, okay? So that, but his brothers think that that's going to happen. We will see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. Reuben, Reuben has uh, Joseph's interests in mind. Reuben's kind of on rocky territory with Jacob right now because Reuben, remember these people are not great people, Reuben slept with Bilhah, his father's wife. It was really, uh, it, 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 remember this for next time around. When he did that, he uh, invalidated his birthright. He, he, he violated his father's marriage, and so he, the firstborn, is no longer eligible to, be, to receive the birthright, okay? But he's kind of making up some ground right here. Let's not kill the boy. Let's, not, let's shed no blood um, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So this is the last thing. Um, and we'll, we'll have to talk about this again next time. And think about it over the week. How is Joseph like Jesus? Here's one way. The pit, the pit is a, uh, a technical term uh, in, in the Psalms synonymous with the grave, right? With Sheol. Uh, it's where you go down from, down, down to that you don't come back from, okay? So they put him into a pit. He was as good as dead, okay? We've got to stop here. We're running out of time. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.